Hi, I'm Michael Hutchins from an excess. Thank you very much for coming backstage with Access All Areas, okay? Hope you have a good time. Access All Areas, episode 142, the podcast that aims to dive deep in all things in excess uh, through the band, through our friends, through our patrons, through people who listen intermittently, but also most importantly, my compadre B. How are you? We've got Mike P, part two today. I know, I know. Very exciting. Um, great last week. What an insight. What a gentleman and, and a gentle man, I have to really emphasize, because a lot of the ladies went, gosh, he sounds such a nice man. And he is, isn't he? <laughs> well, yeah, he's a good-looking rooster, and uh, I like the way I abbreviate his name to Mike P, just in case I did a B, and I got his name a bit wrong, B. <laughs> yeah, that's okay, that's okay. I mess up quite a bit there um yeah great great stories and um yeah i'm looking forward to this week i'm sure there's a lot um he's going to um tell us a bit more about michael and how cool was the photo yeah well i was about to actually say that the photos uh uh that's one of the the great little uh uh, sideline positives of this podcast is that we have very very generous guests who uh i think understand the spirit of our podcast that aims to uh, have a sincere look at the band's history, and uh, they are very, very giving. Uh, we've been given lots of photos along the way, things that never made it to press. Yes. Uh, and these ones are tasteful and cool and uh, really take us back to 1997, B. Yeah, and even the band. Can you tell that I've just turned my microphone around and it was the wrong way around? How did I come in uh, just, Hayden? <laughs> it was like a whirlwind, wasn't it? I'm sorry, everybody, if I sounded a little you, bit You're asking rubbish, me so. to have a, 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 an opinion on technology. It all looks the same to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um what we're talking about yeah so those photographs yeah even the band haven't seen them so they've been wowed by them too it's been pretty cool we're going to be showing um the patrons a few more um goodies later on and we went out with a bit of a tribute song last week which was i think show me which is uh or show me cherry baby which is one that uh, i think mike was particularly keen on we're gonna go with the other one from mike later today but we will hold our powder dry on that uh i'd always like to ask you though b how's your in excess week been we haven't spoken much this last week, so you must have some. You must have been really busy. <laughs> Apart from being a chauffeur and a chef, <laughs> I'm more of a chauffeur than anything lately. But anyway, that's the personal life. Lift shelf that. Um, I've got a little list here. I'd like to say um, thank okay. you to Andrew Everett. Um, as we are speaking now, he's probably recovering from his first Don't Change gig. He got me to send him some flyers, so he sent some flyers. So I want to say hello, or we want to say hello to all the new listeners that have been to the gig and are hearing us now and thank you to Andrew for um, getting them to us. So who's Andrew again? He's part of the band, is he? No, Andrew 
Andrew Everett is um, a friend of the podcast and he's one of our um, patrons. He was one of our news patrons. Oh, apologies. Last year. I, thought, I thought you were like, he, he was part of Don't Change. And nope. sorry, Andrew went to Don't Change. Yeah, it's his first Don't Change okay. gig that he's going to uh-huh. and he's going to take some flyers. Fantastic. Side note, which was pretty uber, uber exciting for me, was um, I looked at my phone earlier and personally, Silverchair are following me. Moi. So it's like, ooh, that's kind of exciting. So hello, Silverchair um, listeners and not listeners, but fans. Do you know uh, when they What's broke that through about? in Australia? 19... <laughs> well, when they broke in Australia in 1994, oh, no, no. it was sort of at the uh, height of grunge and things. Yeah. But the Australian nickname for them was Bananas in Pajamas. <laughs> sorry, sorry. No, it wasn't. It was Nirvana in Pajamas. No, oh, that's that that sounds a bit better. Yeah, I get that. But, yeah. Yes. Well, you know, the the cartoon, Bananas with Dumbas, they were oh, Nevada well, in Pajamas. There's a turnaround any... because it's B1 and B2, yeah. isn't it? Correct. Yes, yes. So it's, it's a tie-in. Tie-ins everywhere. But... Yeah. I have yes. got an uber thing to tell you that is in excess yeah. related. I have bought sure. a weekend away on Murphy's Ranch, the sugar um, loaf ranch up in... Um, in Ballina, and that's coming up at the end of the month. So I'm really so. What mega- you're really saying is you you're going undercover as a as a secret agent for Access All Areas <laughs> to get an interview from one of Murphy's uh, offspring. Is that right? <laughs> well, we'll see. I've invited you around for um, a glass of wine, so we'll see. Um, more that I can have a poke around and see if we can get inside that shed of Murphy's. Well, How cool I, would well, that that's be? That's what I had. Pi- I, had I, I had that pictured in my mind. Do you remember uh, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, to mm. the Impossible theme music. And yeah, he's he's dancing around the pool and he's he's <laughs> sussing out a, a room or whatever. I just had this vision of you and Daniel K. W- R. Uh, from uh, Pensacola. You, you've got your uh, black sort of uh, uh, robber <laughs> outfits on, and yeah, you're, you're parading the uh, fields of Murphy's Ranch. <laughs> You've broken into the uh, the barn. You've opened up a big box of uh, treasure troves, and uh, you felt like you won the lottery. That's what I'm picturing. <laughs> you never know; it might not be far from the truth, Hayden. So I'll keep you posted how that goes. Because what are we? That's only two weeks away. So I'm very excited about that. A weekend away with my girlfriend, um, and also to um, sniff around the Murphy Ranch. Fantastic. Now. Well, a quick shout out. We might even, I don't know if this is accurate or not, so I'm just throwing it out there, but uh, I checked the emails today and I I saw one of our patrons, Martin Norton, uh, gave gave us a kind nudge to see if we had forgotten him in the podcast patron list last week. He said, I'm still a patron. Uh, I'm normally between A and B and I didn't hear my name. So, Martin, if that was the case, we're going to dedicate this episode to you. Yes, Martin. For, for, for that. But uh, uh, we'll go back, listen to the audio. Please, always very, very humble in fessing up if something doesn't uh, go right. Yeah, I'll blame Carrie You got it wrong. <laughs> If she did, if she did get it right, you got it wrong, Martin. We will retrospectively go back and edit this podcast, and and we won't dedicate it to you. But in case we have forgotten you, we will dedicate it to you. Does that make sense? I do have to apologise. Like usually, I'm pretty swift with that um, patron list, and it just yes. rolls off the tongue. But last week, it took me about five attempts. So I don't know what planet it I was. Prove, so I do apologise. Every it does week. prove that you do it every week. There may be you don't go one to, uh, week that yeah. I might have duplicated yeah. it, but I'm not fessing up to which week. So you can tell me. I'm some of you now, nerds out there might tell me. <laughs> now, speaking of uh, Northern Northern Hemisphere tax time, isn't like March 31st, the end of the financial year uh, in England and America for some of those countries? So we're June 30 here, our financial year. We go June, July to June. I'm pretty sure that 
uh, might have been New Zealand, uh, UK, America. They they work on a an April one to to March thirty first. Oh, yeah, I think you might case, be right. I've just been left so if, long. Yeah, you might the, be right. If that's the case, mm-hmm. if that's the case, everyone's got out there who are listening have got two weeks to uh, offload some uh, some cash to become a patron <laughs> uh, and get some tax deductions. If you need a receipt uh, of some description, as a uh, whatever, we'll see what we can come up with. Um, uh, but, uh, yes, uh, we, we, we love all patrons. Uh, our platinum, our gold, our, uh, our silver and bronze uh, range from the upper tier to the lower tier, and any one of those would be well received and helps us on our quest to get the band into the Hall of Fame and keep this podcast alive. Excellent, Hazel. Um, I just want to add to that because Carrie Ann got in touch with me this morning while I was lying in bed. This is where we do our, um, our meetings. I'm in bed and she's in bed of an evening and I'm in bed in the morning. And she said that she's got everything together now for the patrons for those B-sides. Do you remember we talked about that last week? Yes. Yeah. Yes. She's yep, actually yep. created 40 files now. So we're going to split them into wow. two. So, and she's put all the visuals on them as well. So it's going to, did I say visuals? Visuals on there too. Wow. So it's going to look a pretty cool. We should cross between video and visuals, I In think, visual. but I think we got the got the gist. No, but I mean, getting back to Kerry Ann, she's based out of Holland and uh, she works very actively behind the scenes and uh, putting that little sort of file list together, that's uh, is going to be what sent out or sent out as a file to people's emails. Is that right? That's right. So if you're a patron, get in touch with Kerry Ann or via the email that um, you all know now. Yep. And obviously some of you new listeners don't know it. So let's say it, it's in excess aaa at gmail.com um, yeah get in touch yeah. with Carrie Ann if you want to become a patron we can guide you and uh, we can get you all those digital files now including the b-sides fantastic well one of the things uh, we are pumped about today but we did say from the outset that uh, uh, well even a couple of weeks ago we've had a bit of a format change and we go we go early with guests and early with our major topics so without further ado it's time to go over for what is it topic of the week Hey, this is Tim Farris. Big shout out to Hayden and B. Also want to say hello to all the listeners and NXS fans. Thanks for listening. I love you, Hayden and B. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. Hi, this is Ella from Middleburg, the Netherlands. You're listening to In Excess, Access All Areas with Hayden and Dee. And now it's time for the topic of the week. All right, B. Well, we're looking forward to this part two today. Uh, we're going to probe Mike uh, a little bit about uh, some of the stars and people he's worked with. And uh, we've got a feeling we might hear a little bit about Brian Adams, Eddie Van Halen and Santana and a few little nuggets today, uh, along with Michael and Johnny Depp. And uh, we think that uh, you know uh, Mike himself has had access to some great stars and we might probe into some of those areas as well as you know wrapping up what was his experience with Elegantly Wasted, B. Can't wait. Let's... Here from Mike. Bruce and I think the band in interview said that a lot of their their demo stuff made it to the album. Maybe again it was laid and mixed and things. Yeah. Tell us a bit about um, you know the preparation of all the songs coming in and how that made uh, your role a, a little bit more focused and easier to do. When Bruce got all the tapes when they came in, they were all on Sony digital tape, which we use a thirty three forty eight. So we spent a week going through all the demos of Brian Adams. So we had a, a good base for what the songs were. 
where back before you know where we are the demos now are really good so we have a really strong base like doing records today compared to back then the, usually bands would go into a room and they would rehearse or they played them live then we get into the studio and we kind of have to build the song from ground up it, doing the in excess record was one of the first records i did in my career that there was already a good base because the demos were so good they already tracked them on a 3348 so the songs were already in place. We just had to go fill in some some gaps that weren't that weren't filled in from the demos. And that was really just putting the real drums in there and then, you know, we redid a lot of the stuff. The vocals were all redone, but a lot of it was a lot of Andrew's keyboard parts that he had, but and and his arrangements that he had. The songs were were pretty close. So it just it, it's not such a building process I get where you need to have it's hard to explain. Uh, I know it in my head. It's to get. It's like when you're building a house. Like the part of building a song is so the house doesn't collapse. You don't want your house to collapse. And and foundations. Yeah, the foundation of the house. And the same thing, the foundation of a song. And if you don't have the foundation of the song, no matter what you do, it's just never going to stand the test of time. And that's the hardest part going into the studio and being part of being a really good engineer and being a good producer is coming in with nothing, an idea or maybe a riff and building this foundation, this sturdy house that's going to go in and be this huge rock hit or pop hit and stand the test of time. And that's what makes a really good producer. And with Bruce, up until then, that's what we did. We'd have to come in and go, okay, well, we have the this foundation. The band could kind of play it live. You know, they kind of have an arrangement. So let's get this, let's get the song. Let's build this foundation. Let's build this house. But when NXS came in, because Andrew had such the demos done and and such a good job on the demos and the sounds were so good, the foundations were really already built of the songs. So we had a really strong foundation to start from. Can looking behind you at all those <laughs> things that you've got, all that oh my goodness, there's just so much. I wouldn't even know where to start. All my guitar amps, so wow. And then there's my a mixing desk, and then my wow. I got packing room out there. So, so is this this part of your home? No, it's not part of my home. It used to be in my home, but I cleared it all out because it was a pain. So it's like really five minutes from my house. I have a studio. Excellent. Yeah. It's so, good, good to shut the door and go home. <laughs> oh, exactly. I don't want to bring it home because when I go home, like I'd wake up and go, oh, maybe I go work on something. But now I'm home, I'm home. <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> this is a good time to mention, you know, I've probably been very cliche, downloaded all the common articles uh uh, Mike, but uh, I love this one here. It says, just a 57. <laughs> it says, uh, Mike has managed to capture some of the greatest sounds on record. He's done so by adhering to an old school approach for going any kind of modeling amps or plugins. He prefers real amps and speakers and usually, usually relies on just a single microphone. That's correct. Uh, yeah. Translate that to us uh, numbskulls uh, uh, into a, how a, a song comes about, because that was an interesting takeaway from an article I read about you. 
so why I only use a 57? Is that what you? Yeah. Yeah. Just in a single microphone and obviously getting a real amp and speakers is, you know, probably a raw close to live sound, I assume, you know? It is. Okay. Well, yeah. So if I get super technical with it, a lot of engineers and including myself, we want to be creative, right? So there's multiple. Yeah. There's tons of different mics to use. You know, there's, you know, how many different type of mics and very good mics to cheap mics. Obviously, being an engineer, you want to try out all different things and I want to be creative. It's like a painter. I want to use all these paints and I want to use golds and blues and blacks and whatever, you know. I want to paint and I'm going to be this great artist. But I just find that if I just use a 57, which is a cheap mic on a guitar, that's all I need. You know your tools. That's it. Uh, yeah. I just don't need anything else. And I actually really learned that from Eddie Van Halen because he goes, that's all I've ever used on my thing. So when I was doing the Van Halen record, because I'd always go, oh, let's try this or let's try that. But if I use a 57, it just always works. So if I'm going by a percentage basis, now it's cool to be, I could be artistic and go, well, let me try this and I'll try that. It's like going to McDonald's. You don't want to go to McDonald's and have, you just want your Big Mac and your, you want your cheeseburger. You don't want a broccoli burger, do you? <laughs> yeah, I don't want a broccoli burger. I'm going to McDonald's for a reason. So I, I find, yeah. you know, like I could go, yeah, oh, I, I'm fancy. I use all this stuff, but I just don't. I, I Like it's a 57 and it just works. It works all the time. I never have a problem. When I run into problems is when I start trying to be, too fancy, you know, I got to try this and I'm going to try mic it from here. I'm going to try this mic and that mic. Yeah, it's all good. And yeah, it kind of works. But you know what? If I just use a straight 57, it just works all the time. And there are a lot of good modeling plugins, but I have all the real stuff as I just showed you in the back. So a, a modeling thing is just never going to sound as good as the real thing. So if I have the real thing, why would I use a modeler? It just, it doesn't make sense. I understand if somebody doesn't have it and needs to use a modeler and, and not saying that I don't use them because I do. And sometimes it gives an interesting color or tone, but if I have the real thing, I don't need to use it. So, and it works. It just works all the time. And it's reliable. Reliable. And with a real speaker in a room, you're moving air. So you could feel the air in the room. There is a, and a different room. If you, I put the, a speaker in a different size room, that air is gonna move differently in that, that room. And the mic's gonna pick up the sound in that room. So even though you're miking it close, the sound is still swirling around, there's still air. A modeler, you don't get it. It's just a digital sound that, and it's going to sound the same. It's always going to sound the same. That amp is going to. It's that, more authentic. Yeah, that yeah. amp's going to sound different. And, and if I'm using a tube amp, the warmer the tubes get, it's going to sound different. If the electricity is like one amp different that day, it's going to sound, or one volt different, it's going to sound different. So every day it's going to be a little. There's a real language, isn't it? There's a real language yeah. behind no, it. I yeah. like yeah. it. Yeah. It's a la yeah. So it all makes a little bit of a difference. And that's why people. Well, why does that record sound like that back then? How did they do that? Well, I don't know. The power could have been a little lower, a little high that day. I don't know, but it, the electricity was a little different. So has your software changed much? Sorry, Hayden. As you start, software is changing all the time. Yeah. So yeah, where are you at it, at the moment? Where what I'm using like Pro Tools. I have, you know, I'm at, I'm today with all I up, update because now I have to be both, you know, mm -hmm. old and school so yeah i'm completely up to date when the software changes and i do use a lot of software now too because it is all pro but i still use a lot of analog gear yeah 
So I can still record analog and I go into, I still go into to Pro Tools, everything. I don't use analog tape anymore. I haven't used analog tape for, I don't know how, when the last, the last record I used actually analog tape, I did get a Grammy for, which was Hailstorm. Oh, fantastic. Has, um, Congratulations. Congratulations. That was like 2010 maybe. Yeah. So that was- Oh, that you're was, due for another one now then. We better get you. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. Well, now they don't have, they get rock back on the categories, but the way it's going now, we, we, don't. <laughs> we, we need, a, we need a, a rock revolution, but- um, <laughs> yeah. uh, Ocean trees. Yeah, you mentioned Eddie Van Halen before, and it was an interesting sort of uh, uh, joining uh, to that is that uh, him and Wolfgang, big fans of Power Rage, which our friend Mark Opitz here in Australia worked on as a young engineer, it was probably one of the first projects he worked on. And he just said he learned so much about the recording process with with George Young and Harry Vander and ACDC with that. Was there any seminal album for you with Bruce that was just such a a monumental experience where you just walked away going, I, I just feel better about my abilities now and I, I look back with such fondness. Was there a record like that? Yeah, yeah, for you. Something that just triggered you and you look back with nostalgia and go, wow, it was such a learning experience that really shaped my abilities, you know? I think because I started young and I started working with Bruce very young and I started working with really big records from the beginning. Like I was just lucky. I was at the right place at the right time, blessed or whatever you want to call it. Right. Uh, be, be just because I started working with with all these superstar artists from the beginning, I just learned so much. So every one that I walked away from for the first basically ten years, I just learned so much. It, it was like I was like a sponge because every one came in different. Whether it was Van Halen and it, every everything was just such an eye opener for, and everybody had such a different way back then of making a record. Nowadays, it's it, it's very. People really make records the same way. It's very similar now. But back then, everybody has such their own way of, of, of making a record. And I would walk into a room with somebody different and go like, holy man, oh, that's how they do it. Whoa, that's like a totally different way. I've never seen that before. And then work with a different artist or different producer, and they would do it another way and go like, oh, wow, that that's pretty cool what they're doing. They're totally doing it a different way. And, and so, yeah... Uh, Geez, they they were also everyone like I really have good memories. I I because people ask me this question all the time. Like they always want to get the bad or you know like, like the ugly. What was the you know they want to get dirt. <laughs> no no. I, I mean what was interesting for us is I think of a band like the Cranberries uh, that were quite sort of poppy and uh, melodic, and then you know they met Bruce and suddenly I think Zombie and yeah. some of these big sounds came out. I mean you know that must have been an experience taking a band like that and really sort of amping them up so to speak. Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah, I, we really don't think about it when we're there, when we're doing it. Nah. it. We just go there and we kind of do what we do. It's just like when, like we talked about ACDC, when uh, Angus and Malcolm and George and all them get together, there's just going to be a certain sound that comes out of them. Just like in excess, yeah. when Michael sings, There's this, he has a tone in his voice that that tone, that delivery, that emotion comes out of him. When Bruce, yeah. you know, walks into a room or any engineer, myself or any other engineer out there, they just bring a certain, you know, frequency and it's it's whatever their their thing is, whatever they bring into the studio, their energy. Like if you came and hung out in a, if you came and sat with me during making a record, well, you would be part of that record because whether you... Can, did anything or not, even if you just sat and 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 observed the making of the record, your energy is in that studio. So now, 
you're you're in tune and in harmony with what's going on. It's just like if you look at the world right now, you could go to a sporting event and everybody's cheering and laughing and having a good time. Their team is one, and then there's another side that's miserable because their team lost. So you get two different teams walking away from that. You and you go, well, how could they, they were at the same place at yeah. the same time? And somebody's super happy and joyful, and it's just the best day of their life. And somebody else is walking away that their team lost, and this is terrible. What a horrible day! They might have lost money on a gambling bet. So there's two different energies that show up. Well, if you came and sat with me in this room, you would go, "Well, why did that record sound different?" Well, that's because you sat with me during that record. So your energy is actually part of that record. I'm just thinking Fleetwood Mac rumors here. Uh, that conflict that w- translated onto uh, the album. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So people hear that and they don't know why they feel something when they listen to it, and that's because yeah. they—that was the room they were in. That was their energy that they captured on that record. That's a perfect example of it so they brought all that in they were able to work through it and they were able to and again that's why you call it a producer right because you have to produce the product at the end because somebody else could have went in with Fleetwood Mac during rumors and nothing would have ever happened somebody else could have fell into their trap and they could have sat there you know drugged out for however long and nothing would have ever got done and that record would have never been finished but because you had a producer in there that was able to take all that chaos, put it together, create harmony, create a record that's in tune, in balance, and put out to the world. And you go, well, that's why he's a producer, because he was able to sit in that room with those people at that time and actually deliver a produced, finished album. And people feel that. So that energy is captured in that record, whatever it may be, you know, the ups and downs and whatever they were going through at the time. And It's such a perfect segue back to Michael. And look, you know, the elephant in the room is that this is his last major recording, you know, uh, with the band. I mean, came out in April, uh, you know, mid-April, to the, uh, sorry, 1997. You know, seven months later, you know, he took his own life. When we look back to this era in 1997, there was really no internet. There was really no men's health. There was no real sort of, I mean, it was probably a, a macho era where men didn't quite share their feelings. And Andrew and, and the band quite kindly have opened up to us about different anecdotes and things around that time. All we have as fans and listeners is the lyrics, also the vocal and, and the honesty of things. Did, did you sense a, a certain despair in Michael? Because I think he covered it well. Like he was always very disarming with people. But did you sense listening or anything there, um, his pain or anything like that? Or you know, absolutely. And 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 part of where he could deliver the emotion is because, like you said, you know, uh, that there was no help. You couldn't talk to people. And probably Michael, being such a rock star, probably felt, you know, I don't want to bring that out. You know, at that time, you know, people held him in a light. So even though yeah. maybe he was going through struggles and drug addiction and whatever. You have nobody to go to help for because you think, you know, that's just the way I have to be. And well, listen, to go into those, to deliver vocals like that, it's like an actor too. If they have to go do a movie where they have to get into a role that they have to bring in like a really dark side, you know, something very sad or emotional or whatever, you have to be able to get out of that emotion. Where Michael, like I said, he'd walk into the studio and once he walked into that vocal booth, he could bring out this emotion and whatever he wanted you to feel. So he has to go to a place. You can't just go go there and sing into a vocal mic if you're not able to go to those dark places or those happy places yeah. or whatever place you may be. 
But the thing is, being able to get out of that place. So it's it's great if you could go deliver a vocal with all this emotion and and whatever the hardship you're going through or whatever you want to deliver. But after you deliver it and you do the song, you need to be able to step away, get out of it, and get back into normal life and a normal routine. But if you get stuck in that that place where you're delivering that that song from and you can't get out of it that's that's Dang. that's where the struggle is and the challenge i guess too that's, isn't that's it? the not. challenge and actors are like that too you know they go into a dark place or they you know a movie role or you know where they even have to gain a lot of weight for a movie Dead. role, and they have to put on 50 or 60 pounds well that's not really healthy to do but they do it for their craft you have to be able to get out of that and you have to you know after your movie role you have to be able to go back into the gym and lose that weight and get healthy again you know, for your net and be able to go attack your next role. But if you can't get out of that eating binge that you you were on to put on that extra weight for that movie movie part, it's not gonna. It's probably gonna be a difficult road for you going going forward. And I think that's where Michael was. He he was able to go to those dark places to deliver some of those lyrics he was you know delivering or the story or the emotion he wanted to get. I don't even know if that's, but I know I know because I've worked with enough artists. And when when you're able to deliver like he does. You have to go to a different place. Yeah. You're not just a normal everyday place where I'm going to the grocery store and picking up my things and I'm going to have dinner ready at five o'clock for my, you know, you're going to a different place and that's why people respect him. And that's why sure. he is such a star and has such a fan base. And that's why people buy his music is because they go like, when they listen to it, you feel something mm-hmm. when you listen to it or any great artist or any great actor, because they're able to go to that place where they need to go to be able to deliver that. But you have to get out of that place then too. So from an engineering point of view, the vocals obviously and the lyrics on this album are really, really strong. How did you sort of, from memory, if you can remember, look at Michael's vocals in this album and, I mean, you know, song production and engineering, you can turn the vocal up higher or make it the front or whatever. Was there anything particularly you remember with Michael's yeah. vocals, how he handled them for this album? Yeah. So for me, like I'm very much, I'm a tone person. So like I could feel energy. Like if you walk into the room, I feel the vibration. I just, I guess it's like, I don't know if it in my head, but I feel like, I guess the vibration of the room or whatever, the feeling, I'm I, I, an empath, so I could feel everybody's everybody's energy and, and I, could, I could take it on. I'm, I'm very good at clearing it afterwards. So for Michael and any singer who comes in, it's just, I want to feel their energy and I want to make sure that I have the best mic on him. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that he's, when he's singing in that mic, he's really connecting with me. So like if I feel like he's connecting with me and I'm connecting with him 100%, right sound, the right tone, the right compression on his vocal, the right preamp. Yeah, just the overall tone of his voice. So if he's sitting in the room with me and I feel very comfortable and I could be in that space with him, then I know I got the right microphone and right EQ on him, the right right compression, where it sits in the mix and, and, and his energy. So I try to feel like what he's saying 
Like, where do I want to sit? Am I feeling what he's saying? Like, oh, you know, he's too loud now because I feel like, oh, if he's overbearing me, like, where am I? Like, I want to be sucked in. Like, I feel like if I'm listening to music, I want to be pulled in. If I'm being pulled in like this, then I know, okay, I'm good. I want to look at it. It's like almost like a, a dish. I want to smell it. I want to eat it. I want, I just want to be encased in this. So when he's in, in the vocal booth, that's what I want to make sure that, that I feel him. I feel him on me. I go, okay, yeah, I could feel him. I feel his energy. It's like almost like I put his coat on me, whatever he's wearing on me. When that's exactly how it felt. Yeah. But you tell the story about Mark, about the charisma coat for Michael. Oh, oh, the web. Yeah. Well, M Michael always says he had to uh, feel that um, he was quite shy, and you would have probably have uh, witnessed that when you met him. But like, he put on the charisma coat when he knew how to meet the fans, or or tour, or on stage, or even in the uh, in the sound booth. There. Time for yeah. the charisma coat. <laughs> yeah. But, so, so did talking to Michael about his vocals out of the studio was that something that you talked about? No, no, not really. Yeah. After we uh, we go in there do our work, and then after it was just fun. Actually, we go out for dinner and we go party and we go have fun. So he was able then to just decompress yeah, in I, a way. Well, I don't I don't know if he really decompressed because I think probably turned to you know substance abuse and stuff probably to hide that yeah. you know at the time, yeah. which we didn't you know. You know, knowing now what I know now, it would be totally different. Like back then, you know, I was a lot younger, but you see things like I, I just don't think things like that would have would happen today as much. Not I don't know, maybe they would, but not I don't think doing a record with me now would be the same situation. Yeah. I think we're more aware of We're more uh, aware, our, I think our, our brethren, aren't we, you know? Yeah, I think there would be a conversation. I think back then nobody knew the the seriousness of, of certain things and we just took it as it's fun and that's the way it's supposed to be and yeah. oh, nothing's wrong and it's swept under the under the carpet and not really looked at or maybe ashamed to look at it or something. I think today now we would look at things a little bit differently and go like, you know what, listen, I know where we're trying to go, but maybe this is not the right way maybe we need to get you know a focus group you know and obviously I don't know what was going through Michael's head at the time if I look back at it now I go yeah maybe I you know it's you know substance abuse is because you know I came through the 90s of rock rock and I, I've seen substance abuse and I've seen how it's harmed people you know what I, I abuse substances too you know like I've been sober now for a long time but you know I know what it did to me I was just lucky I was able to crawl out of it and and mm. You know, but you just kind of get pulled into that that world and it is difficult to get out because you think that's the way it should be because it should be fun. It should be rock and roll. That's what it, that's what it is. It's sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And, you know, that's our lifestyle and that's what people want and that's what people want to buy. So you think that you have to do it. It's do not, it. yeah. it's not even that you want to do it, that you just have, you have to do it. And it's the roller coaster of it as it's well. It's the roller coaster. And once you're on that roller coaster, it's really difficult to get off that roller coaster, you know, because I've been doing this for, you know, now over 30 years, 33, 34 years. I've just, I've witnessed a lot. So now I could look back at it and go, yeah, well, you know what? I was in my early, or I was 20s then, you know, I, I didn't know any better. It's not until you get older or a little bit wiser. Some people yeah, get older wiser before wiser. they get older. Yeah. Um, that you realize the pain that you're causing other people that's and right your and own body as well right. and that you're a part of it you know you're a part mm. of it. you know what what, yeah. could I, what could i have done to you know what could i have done 
differently, you know, maybe this wouldn't have happened or, you, you know, like I was a part, you know, I, sometimes I was driving the train, you know, let's go, you know, let's go. So, <laughs> yes. you know. Well, I mean, you think back to Mike, I mean, uh, I can only uh, speak on our behalf of being, I we're slightly older than 37. I'm going to maybe put you in our club, Mike, if that's okay. But Michael was 37. I mean, it's such a young age, wasn't it really? Yeah, super um, young. Yeah, the wisdom, you know, that we have at our ages, respective ages now, uh, um, none of us had it at that age, you know? Oh, no. nobody did. And again, I think we just didn't know better because you don't really see it happening as much now as you did in the, you know, 70s and 80s. And it was just a period of time that was just different. It, yeah. It's hard to put a finger on it. It, it was just, yeah. it, it was a time and everybody was doing it. It was, it was fun. Yeah. It wasn't even bad. Nobody knew it was bad. It, you know, and well, like, and like we did what we were like, yeah, yeah it's yeah. not going to be that bad. Whatever. It's fun. <laughs> it's fun, whatever. Nothing's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. We, know, we know when Mick Jagger commits two hours a day to fitness, the world's changed a little, a little yeah. bit, uh, Mike. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> probably got teenage kids or older I don't know but you know they're so much more clued up nowadays you know they can read everything on the internet and they just seem to be so much wiser the kids now they are I think they know and they've seen there's been now there's enough reported going like you know what that's not going to end well yeah you see the stories now over and over and over again and and if you think about it, like if you look back, it was it was a really short period of time, you know, music really evolved. Like, you know, I look at how old I am now, but if you even take 70s, 80s and 90s music, that's only 30 years of music. Like I started in the 90s, I've already done 30 years of music and I see, so it's like a short, it seems like such a short window. So nobody really learned anything in that 30 years, but now people are starting to look back. Now we have 60 years and beyond, you know, now you go back in the obvious 60s, 50s back then, but really when music started becoming, you know, really popular, the MTV era and all that, it, it was really glorified as sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Like they glor- they glorified it. Every band did. That's what it was supposed to be. You know, they made movies on it. It was fun. That's that's how it is. You go out to see a band. It's all about that. And it was more culturally a uh, a thing, wasn't? It? Music was more culturally a thing. I think technology and devices seem to have trumped the musical cultural thing for younger people now. Yeah, um, seemingly. You know, I don't know your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's you know it's different. It's, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. I don't have an answer. I just know it's it's um, a different world. We live in a different world than we did back. You know, I hear Hayden because Hayden's got young younger children, and I think when they are younger, devices and gaming and all of that, it's their their world. It's their bubble, isn't it? Yeah. I've got a little bit older. They're like fourteen, fifteen, and they are so into their music. I mean, they're going to see live bands, they're learning guitars, they've got the electric guitars. They're just constantly 
robbing my record collection. Well, that's because of um, you, Pete. <laughs> I, lo- do you I, think? Think? I don't know. I, I don't know. It. I love to hear that, though. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, me- Mila, my daughter, I mean, she's going this weekend to see a band. Um, and the band, my God, you should see this young lad. He's only like 17, but he loves talking heads. You oh. know, that was, and he sings Psychic Killer like you wouldn't <laughs> believe. And like, he's just rolling on the stage like um, Johnny Rotten. Well, Johnny Rotten. Is it Johnny Rotten? Yeah, Johnny. I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah, I'm like, yeah. wow, this this is this is great. And this is in my small town. I just hope that it's happening, popping up all around uh, the world. Now. I think it is. And you know where you're saying technology, I think maybe what I see a little bit happening now is technology's gone so far and and with Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all these social media sites where it's gone so far and everything's got so de- divisive online. Yeah. People are and face people are starting to go, you know what? I'm taking a break from it. Yeah. It's I don't, true. I, I don't need this anymore. Why am I online fighting with somebody I don't even know with some made up name? And yep. you know what? Let me just go back. I want to go back to the basics. And I think kids are finding that. I think they are. Kids are finding like older records and going, you know what? It, it does sound different. There is a, more of an innocence to it where like the new records and the new pop records, how far are they going to push like the, you know, the, you know, the, the rap? They're quite, they're quite manipulative, aren't they, Mike? It, Sometimes the modern recordings versus the older ones. It's very manipulative. It's very, you know, they're trying to push an agenda, I think, on the kids. You know, hard to yeah. say, you know, people say, oh, yeah. No, they're not, but I think it is where... Pick a side, pick a side. Yeah, pick a side. I think where the older records was more of an... There was an innocence about them, and I think people are... Like kids nowadays, just because of the divisiveness and and the bullying that's going on on social media, they're starting to go, you know what? We don't need this anymore. It's almost like... It's almost like it's eating itself. Let let me get away from that. Let me just go back to, you know, as much as they can in their world. You know, yeah. we don't need this anymore. Let's just go back to something a little more simpler. Grassroots. Yeah, a little They're more going back to the grassroots. Um, yeah, I totally, totally echo it because I can see it happening. It's like the teachers are telling them, you don't need those devices anymore. Get out, go and do something. Yeah, get outside, go play outside, mm. go yeah. get the sunshine. And they're getting it. They are getting it at last. Yeah, I know. And they need that because I think there's probably a generation that, that, sat there and you know i see i see it in the studio i see where bands come in the studio and they're on their phone all day long they're not even they're in here making a record they got a record deal but they can't get off their phones when when wow. i'm back in the 90s like doing records yeah. in excess nobody had a phone nah. nobody had anything nobody's playing video games even back then then it was like everybody was in the studio what's going in the on moment. in the you moment in the in the moment from you know we'd start at noon and finish at nine o'clock at night and they were in the moment for that whole eight or nine hours or whatever we're in the studio and every day for two months or what you know in excess is two months they, in the moment every day you came in and 100% focused. Now bands come in and they're like, they're fo- they're focused on de- my Instagram picture loaded up. You know, I got to make sure wow. I'm doing a live. So everything is so uh, jagged and compartmentalized. Huh. They're not in the moment. Everything is, is like, it's almost like a digital cut. Everything's 
It's just a, a you need a box. Yeah, you need to say put your mobile in here and yeah, lock it. That's right. That also <laughs> forget what's going on. You're going to be okay. You're not going to you're not going to miss yeah, anything. Yeah, exactly. The world's so broken. Have you got a protege? Have you got somebody that you're pulling through? I do. Life? I have a young assistant oh, that I'm that I'm working with. And Easy I, under the desk. <laughs> <laughs> Just a quick one. I mean, I'd, I'd, it would be really remiss and um, let our fanboy and fangirl experience here um, shine here. You've worked with so many great artists. I'd just love to throw a few names, maybe a quick anecdotal musical memory you might have. Um, a, a, a great guitarist from Australia, Aranthi. Um, Oriathi. You know, oh, yeah. Oriathi, yeah. You know, uh, I know Oriathi super well, and she actually lives, well, she was dating Richie Sambora for a while. Yes. actually yes. live. Literally, I could walk from my house to their house in about 10 minutes. Okay. And I see <laughs> Orianthi walking. Like, I'll pass Orianthi walking, like, because my route to the studio, and she's always walking with her headphones on. So I see her all the time. And I, yes. just, I just did a track with her last summer, another track. Uh, we did a cover song of Beat It. I don't know, of Michael Jackson's Beat It. Well, she was oh, yeah. going to play on his tour, wasn't she? Yeah, she was going to play on his tour. Yeah, so okay. I, did a, I did a record with her, and then uh, and then nothing happened with the record. And then she got the, the Michael Jackson, the Michael Jackson tour, and then Michael <laughs> died during the tour, or during rehearsal. The rehearsal and then, yeah. and then, then they released Orianthi's record, and it became a huge... Huge hit, but yeah, yeah. I, I know I'm, I'm great friends with Orianthi. Still, I see her all the time. And all right, now one of B's favorites, Adam Lambert. Adam Lambert, yes, I've worked with him uh, after he won American Idol. I ended up only doing one song with him. My favorite vocal of all time of any artist of any song is Steve Tyler's "What It Takes." Yeah, off Pump. Okay, um, were you uh, you were in, in with Bruce on that one? Because I think that no, vocal I wasn't. Is... I didn't do Pump. I did pr get a grip. Steve Tyler, I guess, generally is a vocalist. Tell us a bit about him. Oh, yeah. Amazing, too. He's another guy like Michael. He walks in and he's a rock star when he walks in, just like exudes rock star uh, when he walks into the studio and he walks into that vocal booth and just delivers, too. Yeah, there's a few people that I worked with. They just have it. Yeah. Now, a band that went out seeming on their top, you know, they probably, uh, I think they may have reformed recently, but uh, My Chemical Romance. Yeah, uh, they they really cut through there in the early sort of two thousand and tens there, didn't they? You know, and yes. uh, tell us a bit about them. Uh, yeah, great band. When they came in, they they just got had got signed to Warner Brothers. Nobody knew anything about them, and Howard and I ended up doing the record. And we never knew when we were doing the record. We did the record super quick. I think we spent maybe two or three weeks on the record, and it ended up blowing up. It just it was one of those things that just hit. We had no idea when we were doing the record. It was one of those, yeah. like, wow, this was like, this turned out to be huge. Uh, guilty pleasure for me, Chicago. Oh, yeah, Chicago. So <laughs> I did that with Bruce, and it was uh, it was a big band record, uh, Night and Day. We did, they did all cover songs of uh, big bands. So it, it, yeah. great, it was fun making that record, too, because amazing musicians. I just love working with, with uh, musicians that are just so, you 
know, just masters of their masters. And of- they had such a sort of, you know, a wide sound with their horns and, you know, their, yeah. uh, you know, they, they were the cast of thousands on stage, but they uh, had such a sort of a, a, a musicality to them, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. And it was a great, Bruce loved it because Bruce is a horn player too. And, and so for yeah. it was a fun record to do and great guys, really great guys, fun record to make. Alice Cooper. Uh, I never, oh, with Hollywood Vampires. Yeah. Yeah. So I only ended up mixing that record. I okay. I didn't record any of that record, so they okay. did that record separate, and I ended up mixing it. So I never they, met Alice, but I've met yep. John, I met Johnny Depp because he came down and yes, and 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 Joe, I set up their sounds for them. Oh, oh yeah, so with them, what did I do? Okay, yeah, so they were recording the they were I think Rise was it Rise I think uh, Rise the There's album what? I think. Yeah, yeah, Rise, Hollywood yeah. Vampire Rise. Yeah, so yeah. what I ended up doing was setting up their guitar sounds for them up at Johnny Depp's house. So Johnny has a studio in his house in, in Hollywood. So I was there and then ended up mixing the record for them. And then Johnny was at my studio here where I am now. And, you know, with Great the- friend of Michael's at the time too. They were good buddies, you know. Oh, they were? Yeah, we got some good photos of them, but I think haven't we in their platforms and things. Yeah, yeah, with his mom. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um. Uh, and my last one that I'll throw to be, uh, Chris Cornell, um, did you directly work with him? Or yes, was it I post? did. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah, it was just one song. I mean, yes. what, what what vocal chops? I mean, really? Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, amazing. Oh, no, yeah. I worked with him twice because I did a Santa- Carlos Santana record. And yes. he sang on one of the Carlos Santana's. Or, oh, it was a cover record. Yeah. It was, what's, it was a Zeppelin song. I forget which one it is. Uh-huh. Came in and sang more one. So well, he's yeah. probably one of the few guys in the world who could do Robert Plant justice, isn't Amazing. he? Amazing. You know? It was one pass and was like, that was it. <laughs> was one take. Same yeah. thing. Yeah. Yes. Amazing art. Amazing vocalist as well. B, uh, did you have anything there? Sure. You worked with Sure. Is that sure. right? Sure. Did you? Yep. Yeah. Yes. How was that? It was good. So I worked with Cher twice. So the very, very first record I did. When I started working at Little Mountain in Vancouver, Bob Rock was producing three songs for Cher's Greatest Hits record. And so I was the assistant engineer on that record. Mike Fraser was the engineer. Cher never came into the studio, so I didn't meet her that time, but worked on on everything else but her vocals. And then in, I don't know, maybe four years ago, she did a song for some movie and I don't know. Oh, was that the um, the Mamma Mia? I don't know what movie it is. I think she, it was for Mamma Mia too. The sequel, the sequel for Mamma Mia. She did come back yeah. for that. She, she yeah. must have sung on that. Fernando. Possibly. I don't know. I, I, I don't remember <laughs> what the song. It was it Diane. I know Diane Warren wrote the song. Yes. Oh, okay. And uh, so she came in into the studio here I'm in now and did it and did the vocals on it. Oh, sorry, but you go. You go. I was gonna say, and is she a make like what she yeah, like? Yeah, she was amazing, super, very nice, and yeah, like you know. <laughs> Did she have yeah. the wig on? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was like share. It was share. Yeah. Yeah. Like share. <laughs> we, we, we're a bit naive down Australia. We call her Sher, uh, sure. whereas you know it's one of our silly uh, pronunciations. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Santana earlier. I mean, what a what a career comeback for him. You know, particularly in the early two thousands. Did you yeah. get to work with him directly? Yes, I did. I did uh, yeah. seven songs with him. So it's on the yeah. we it all covers. So we did a Def Leppard song that uh, Chris Daughtry sang, photographs. Yes. 
Yes. And, and uh, the Chris Cornell, uh, who else did we have on it? I think, uh, I, I don't remember the other singers. You could check it out, but I did seven songs. Yeah. I got some great Santana story. It's, it was just fun working because he would talk to me in like in code, which was interesting, you know, because <laughs> he'd like just tell me like, this, I, I wrote all the quotes down that he would give me because then I had to know what he was talking about, right? Ah. Yeah, it was it, it was great working with him too. It was fun. Just yeah, you know, all these great artists. I have no, I have no bad stories. Every every artist I work with was just all great experiences. Say there's some records that were a little tougher to make, you know, that you have to go through. But you know what? I I honestly, you know, every record I made, I really enjoyed everybody and. And uh, I don't have any any ill thoughts about anybody. Everybody I worked with was super interesting, fun to work with. I learned I, I learned from everyone, everybody I've ever worked with. Oh, <laughs> you're such a gorgeous man, isn't he? I want to go and make a record with you. <laughs> Kirk tells a yeah, Kirk Bengilly tells an interesting story there when he him and the NXS were, were headlining Rio, Rock and Rio '91. They said there was this old guy who'd sort of snuck it edged out on stage and was sort of playing with amps and a guitar and he was uh he, he, i think kirk thought he was a cleaner or a janitor and he sort of requested he'd jump off stage while success were warming up but it, it was carlos santana oh, really? <laughs> it, was, it was playing support on that rock and rio gig and it was probably the period where santana was uh you know he didn't kirk didn't recognize him because uh, i think he had sunglasses and a hat and was dressed rather sort of down downbeat um but uh, he later found out and apologized, I think. <laughs> yeah, I have some good So I don't know if you want to print this. I don't know if you should. I don't know if you yeah, would. Yeah. But so sure. Carlos was telling me stories because, you know, he played at Woodstock, right? He was off his head, wasn't he? Yeah. So he's, yes, yeah. he, he was he was telling he was telling me that he he thought he was going to go on in the evening, like at 8 o'clock at night or yes. 9 o'clock at night. Yes. That's when he was supposed to go on. So he thought, well, I'm going to drop some acid, right? So he yes. dropped a bunch of acid. So he just yeah. kicking in. And they go, you got to go on stage now. Yes. He gets on yes. stage and he goes like, the acid just kicks in. And he goes, I'm looking at my guitar neck. And he goes, it's like I have a serpent in my hand and it's looking oh, at me. And it's shooting, <laughs> so I'm sitting there and people are thinking I'm playing amazing, but really I'm just trying to control the serpent. And, I'm, <laughs> and the way he explained it, I'm going, what an amazing story that is. I yeah, saw it. Yeah, great yeah. story. Like I mean, that is just yeah. so... So it's just I'm going like oh I'm privileged to hear this story like he it's coming right from him right out of his mouth. He's yeah, like, I wasn't as detailed as that of what I knew, but yeah, I knew he'd taken something and was probably uh, got his AM and PMs uh, yeah. uh, around the other way or whatever. Yeah. yeah, and just him telling the story and the way he goes into detail, and I'm just saying it going, this is amazing. I'm getting to listen to Carlos Santana telling me this story about Woodstock. That's happening, <laughs> you know. This is amazing. Like wow, this is so cool. <laughs> Bring it all back to full circle within excess, I guess. Um, uh, as a band, and, and you know, being in the engineering side, and just being sort of, I guess, a, a producer and everything like you are now. Um, for our listeners, obviously, we're all pretty biased and things. But what would you say was the standout, you know, uh, song or quality or 
attribute that, that you know impressed you? I know you sort of mentioned some little ones there along the way, but is there anything that you know from a band point of view? We, we we're campaigning for them to get to the Rock Hall of Fame, you know, oh, yeah. uh, as a as an audience. We think compared to some other artists getting in, I think they're long overdue. Um, we think the depth of their catalog's huge. Um, is there something that you're impressed by them overall? Like I said, just their musicianship, you know, and when I when they came in to the studio, how prepared they were, like Bruce said, and, the, you know, back then when people never had studios or home studios and how how much Andrew knew about making records and, and just even the sounds he got, his demo sounds, like I said, usually like back then we never used you know, demos, like that was very unheard of back then. So for him to come in and have all these sounds and tones already recorded for me i was going like i was going like holy man like he's taking my job away like what, what do you need me for like this guy's able to do it mm. and again just the musicianship and you know all all of them how how well they all, all play together as a band you know like i said michael coming in he's like the you know t- to me he was like steven tyler like he walked in he was always a rock star he had this persona and this this aura about him that you knew when he walked into the room, like I would know when he was, even if I wasn't looking and he was behind me, I could feel him behind me. I could feel his energy, his, his presence behind me. I go, oh yeah, Michael was, yep. oh yeah, sure enough, he's he's yeah. come into the room because there would be nothing. And then all of a sudden this like, the, the room would fill up with this energy and without me even knowing he walked in, but I could feel him and I could feel his presence in the room. And again, like his, his delivery of the vocal, how he could just go on into the vocal booth and turn it on, you know, and really just a couple passes, you know, he didn't have to sit there and beat him up all day to try to get the vocal out of him. Dang. He pretty much got it. And Bruce didn't really have to say a lot. Like Michael knew himself what vocal he wanted to use. And and no, I could do that one better. I want to do this. I need to have this much more emotion on it. Where you, a lot of singers with, with Bruce, you know, Bruce really has to coach him. He didn't have to coach Michael that much on, on his delivery. And so we've been very fortunate to you a lot of people and, and how you, you articulate is just right up there. Um, I, I sense sometimes the song is the boss, isn't it, in a way? And uh, engineering, I guess, and producing is about probably getting out of the way of the, you know, the interfering with the process in an unnecessary way, but letting the song breathe and develop. Yes. And that's what Bruce was really good at is like, as a producer, you could come in or as an engineer, you know, even like myself, like you could come in with an ego and go, you know what? I got to put my fingerprints all over this. Andrew sounds suck. You know, I got to re-record it, but no, it's like, I don't have to do anything. I could just look at it and go, yeah, that's great. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to make those sounds any better than he already has. Same with Bruce with, with vocals, you know, Bruce could go and put his fingerprints all over Michael and go, yeah, I want it this way and that way. But he just, let, he knew Michael knew what he wanted. So like Bruce is not, he could take it a different direction, but he goes, why? When Michael's already taking it in, in a great direction already, I don't need to really coach him, you know, maybe steer him or guide him a bit here or there. But in a sense, you, you know, they really took control of the project. What's next for you now? Uh, any sort of exciting things on the horizon that, uh, you know, you, you, you've focused yeah. on? I just finished yesterday, actually. So uh, I'm doing a band. It's actually a super group put together. So it's guitar player Barry Stock from Three Days Grace, the drummer Morgan from uh, Seven Dust, and Sean Foyce, the drummer from Breaking Benjamin. So they put together a band. So I I just finished recording yesterday. 
And then on Monday, I start a new band there called Heirloom, and it's a band that Howard Benson signed to his record label, Judge and Jury. So a band from North Carolina. And this week, I'm actually, right now, I'm doing some reamping some guitars for a band called Red, which I worked with them before, and then mixing three songs for this band Lilac that I produced and they're from North Carolina so well I feel very honored that you could find time for us today then really <laughs> like my goodness it's very busy but I love doing this thing because I think people should know the stories you know I don't want these stories to get lost and that nah. actually I think they're important stories because I think that you know it's shaped like those artists have shaped what I think society art shapes society and those artists shape society and even music today. And, and the artists today look at those artists and, and grew up with them and are influenced by them. Well, and well, and I feel, sorry, Hayden, I yeah. feel that this album is one of my top albums from In Excess, um, that it's pretty lost out there as well on society. And it's good that we could um, do a deep dive on it. Yeah, and it's not even on iTunes. Isn't it's, it? No. It, yeah, it is. It's not on iTunes. You can't go to Apple Music and play Elegantly Wasted. All the other records are on, but it's- Maybe it's, maybe it's on Spotify and everything on else. On Spotify, but not yeah. on, on Apple Music. And I use Apple Music, and I know a lot of people- right. That's strange. Uh, I'm sure I downloaded it from I'll find it from uh, well, Sam Evans. You can go to iTunes and download it from iTunes, but if you just stream Apple Music, like Apple- Oh, yeah. The record is yeah. on it. These songs, uh, I think, just from our listener base, and, uh, and I guess for people, obviously, that we've spoken to over time, uh, Michael's vocals and things like that, and just the actual album- because it was the last thing he did, it does hold a special sort of place. And, you know, I, I know we can have, you know, commercial success and all, all sorts of things, but I think uh, as a compliment to you, and, and, and we would say the same to Bruce if he was around today, this is a special album. And and lyrically and vocally and production-wise, we, we love it. And the songs, I mean, it has to start with the songs. Yeah. But as, as you've adequately said, you've also got to serve the song to the best of its ability without, as I said, too much ego. And we're very grateful for the work you put in and uh, the team with you and, and for Bruce, uh, who sadly is not here to sort of uh, share our praise. Yeah. But um, it, it is it is uh, an important album that I would say, like B, it's in the top three albums in exist that I play the most because it, it resonates. It was the last thing and it helped a lot of the fans just get through Michael's passing, but also understand his situation a bit better. Because it was almost like looking back in hindsight and going, ah, this is where he was at. Yeah. You know, the solo album came out a couple of years later and we could get a sense of that. But this album, I think, B, it really spoke to the fans a bit, didn't it, where he was at. And having listening to you now, I can feel Michael walking around the studio behind <laughs> you and coming in. And it's just given it a different element. And I'm trying not to cry. <laughs> but, yeah, it's um, you've made it. You've elevated this album even more for me. Thank you. Yeah, oh, I'm glad you like it. It's so nice to hear that because, you know, it goes by. And I think too, you know, because probably at the time it's raw, you know, it's, you know, the time has passed so that the wound heals a little bit. So now you can look at it a little differently, you know, in a closer light, you know, you don't really realize it. You don't really realize it back then, you know, what it was, but now, yeah, it looks pretty special. Yeah. <laughs>
something I've been burning to ask you about, which um, Mark Opitz um, opened up and said he has it as well, is um, that he can see music. Yeah. Is that something that I, I, I know? Can, I know you can feel it because I can. Hear I can see it. Talk about it but you I, can see it. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. I see colors. So, like for me, everything's a painting. So when I do it, you said the same thing. Colors yeah, to me, he did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, called synesthesia. Is yeah, that right? I have that. He has. Wow, a, I love it. And do you see numbers as well, or is it colors? It's all colors and things. So like everything I do is like, uh, you know, uh, scenery. So like it, it, it could be like anything from like, oh, I'm painting a spaceship to I'm painting like a garden with roses or an orange tree in the backyard. So and if I do that and I put the music where I think it's it's an orange tree, it's it's perfect. Everybody loves it. It's when I can't see it that's a problem. So if I can't see it or find the picture, then it's like it's it's difficult. But when I see the picture and what it is, then I go, oh, it's, it makes it easy. And it makes it fun because I don't know. It's like almost God giving me a gift going that I, it could, is. I could see this. And it's very interesting. Like it, And because every music I do and every song, it's almost like an addiction because I go, I can't wait to what I'm going to see from this music or this song today because I don't know. And it's gonna mm-hmm. be, it's gonna be new, and I can't wait to get into it and go like, whoa, that's kind of cool, and and I could get my mind to go crazy and paint, and then paint things, and then you can move things around with it, with it, and yeah. So it's like the vibrations that you see as well, isn't it? I don't even know it. how to explain it. Like to, <laughs> I just know I have it, and and it's amazing. Yeah, what amazing. a gift. But you know what? I didn't know I had it, and like I guess I've always had it because I could tell by the records that I've done that it's there. I just did it subconsciously, uh-huh. but I really started seeing it in like in the last 10 or 12 years. And it's really starting, you know, it's super strong now. Like, I don't know if it could be any better, but I'm going like, this is, but I'm starting to go, Oh, like I could see things. Like I always thought I could, you know, where I, where I did it, but I thought, well, it's nothing. And then, started getting more and more and then it's just started more getting stronger and de- it really developed and then when I started figuring out that's what it is then I started really working on developing it and then just listening to all the different kinds of other music so even like when I'll go to bed with you know my wife and I will go to bed and we'll lay and we always listen to music in the evening so, or like so we'll lay in bed and we could get, get into that zone so and because if I could concentrate on it I could teach her how to do it so like if I was with you guys and you sat in a room with me I could show you how, like if you guys sat with me and I could, you know, you could steady the room. B, we're heading to LA. We're heading to oh LA, God, B. I t- I'm really fascinated with this subject. Of BNI, which I thank you for what you've done for music. I guess, um, as I said, you know, doing research for this this particular uh, interview uh, just only served to highlight just the variety of acts and, and I guess over time going into the production role and um, just the longevity you've you've had and you've uh, never seemed to be out of work, which is probably an endorsement for your skills. So, 
a big thank you for that. And also just a big thank you for Elegantly Wasted um, and what you did for that because, as I said, you know, that album uh, still has a life. Uh, it still has a, a, a regular listenership. And well, we think by coming on today, you're just adding to its legacy and hopefully it gets another little bump. Uh, maybe ends up on a Stranger Things movie or whatever, or TV okay. show B. That's how all these things get breaking now. Like, look at Kate, yeah. Kate Bush had a number one hit recently, 37 years later, because of uh, a, plug, a plugged on a show, you know? And I always thought Elegantly Wasted. I know, like, Shake the Tree is good. And uh, like, what's this song list? There's another. But I always thought Girls, Girl on yeah, Fire. Girl on Fire. But I always thought that Elegantly Wasted was such a good song. Like, I thought. Oh, pretty good I song. I thought it should have been such yeah. a bigger song. And I think that one could be something, you know. Well, I think that hit number one in Canada yeah. and I think in South Africa as a single. But, um, but look, but. The music now can get plugged in, can't it? Now it seems if you attach it to a movie or a TV show, it gets another life, you know. Exactly. Yeah. That, I, any one of those songs. And what was another? I always love this. Hang on, let me. First one was "Show Me Baby." Oh, that. One. Yes, that one. I just love the oh. sound of that that song too. I just thought that was such a cool song too, like artistically and everything. Yeah. The sound of it was. I just thought it was cool. I love Michael's delivery on that. On oh that. yeah. Yeah, it's our favorite one, isn't it, Hayden? One of our favorites. favorites? Yeah, I just love the way that. Yeah, yeah. We do a deep dive um, Spotify list, and we got to debate our review, and that was the one we just break. Yes, that's straight. I love that song too. I just think it's so cool. I think it's so artistic, and again, it was like one of those records that just got missed a little bit. That should have been, you know, a lot more successful. I'm just glad that you guys are bringing it up too, because. I think because we, like you said, the record came out in April, and then Michael went seven months later. So they were just beginning to tour it, so it didn't yeah. get a chance. Mm-hmm. I think that it, if it actually got the chance and they actually toured it, like an, you know, a proper tour and went and toured it for two years, it probably would have been a different outcome. And I think that's yeah. maybe why that, you know, and there was stigma then attached to it after. And yeah, there's too much noise around, wasn't yeah, there? Really, too much with, noise yeah. around it, and it's it's too bad because it is it is a good record, yeah. But th- those songs, I just thought were I I love the way Show Me sounded. It was like so. It's a great opener. Oh. It's the opener for the album. It's a really yeah. interesting opener yeah. too. You know, it's a really interesting opener. I love. I just think it sounds cool. Like it's 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 artistic. Well, I was just going to say, yeah, I'll send you guys some photos too. Oh, yeah. That would be awesome. I'll, I'll scan them with my phone either to, to, tonight or tomorrow morning and I'll, I'll email you a bunch of Because I got some great photos of, of the stu- of the Armory Studios of us in Spain. and That's fantastic. Oh, fantastic. With, with, Thank with you. With Michael and stuff. A lot of great, lot of great photos of Michael. Because I usually don't take photos in studios, but I just, for whatever reason, <laughs> on that record, <laughs> because people ask me for photos of like... Do you have a Vero Smith? I go, I don't. I just don't. But with in excess, I actually took photos, and that was one of the only ones. So I got some great photos. Oh, that's so great! The whole oh, ba- thank the, you for taking. Yeah, the look. whole band and stuff, and I think you'll really appreciate them. And there's some really cool ones, like I said, of like Michael sitting in the vocal booth, you know, with a glass of wine in his, uh, well, in his like Dolce oh. and Gabbana pajamas, just sitting there in front of the mic, 
Oh my god, I can't <laughs> wait to see it. Hello, ladies. <laughs> so, was there a second song off the album that also resonates a bit with you? It was probably well, Elegantly I, Wasted, maybe. Yeah, or... Elegantly Wasted. Those are my two favorite. I just thought yeah. they were great. And I thought that Elegantly Wasted was like commercial hit song. Show Me, obviously, not as commercial. It was like, I thought it was cool and artistic. And yes, I love the way it sounded and the way Michael delivered it. But Elegantly Wasted, I just thought it was a great single. I thought it was hit. It, it was, it was cool. I thought the lyric was super cool. Uh, I love the Elegantly Wasted. Again, I, I liked the way Michael delivered it. I thought, I thought it had everything to be a big, a big hit song. Yeah. She's on Fire too was good. That was a good uh, pop song too. But I just liked Elegantly Wasted. I liked the way it sounded, you know, sonically, everything about it. I thought it was really cool. There's not a wasted note on it. I think when we reviewed it last week, we just said like every little intricacy of it it's just a pure pop you know uh funk yeah it it, it, it relives a little bit of kick but it has enough bent on it that's you know, what i liked and, about uh, it yeah. too. like i thought it was like it fit into like suicidal blonde and the old it, it just felt like in yeah. excess where where the other songs were a little bit they were yeah. great songs but you know obviously with bruce producing and me engineering a little more they were yeah. a little more rock you know a little more yeah. little, Artistic. As a single, as a single to sell albums, I mean, it was the perfect lead single, you know. Absolutely, and that's what yeah. I thought too. And I think that song's yeah. still great today. The other one is thrown together. That's very artistic. The way that you put that together, we use that quite a lot in our show, yeah. don't we, Hayden? Yeah, we, we we think it's an epic song. It's very think, creative. A lot of lovely textures on it, um, Mike. You know, um, with the acoustic and then some of the sitar work and then some of the horns and the, the vocals. Yeah. I mean, it's not a cookie cutter plug and play there seems to be enough you know creativity on this album just for repeat listening i think that's what makes a good album you can go back and listen and go oh that little flourish is interesting right, you, you know it. it sounds different the next time you listen to it you yes know, it's all yes yes and that's yeah. what you want that's like what we're talking about with colors is because if you have the right colors and the right picture every time you listen to it you're going to hear it a little differently or a new sound shows up or like oh that's different there or you could then you could start moving around the pieces in the song and create your own pictures which is cool that's what you want to do so that if the colors are on the right spot then it allows the listener to be able to move around the pieces in the song and that's what makes a great song too that's why pink floyd is so good like if you listen to pink floyd record you go like how did they do that like what is going on there because they created the they created the pictures the pictures are so strong that every time you listen to it, you could create a new picture in it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now, I won't wow. ask you about Bob Ezrin because that'll take another half an hour oh, yeah. of me being a fanboy. <laughs> but uh, I've worked with Bob a couple of times. So I got some, he's a great guy, super talented, beyond uh, imagine. So, yeah. I'm sure you must cross over with so many great producers oh, in yeah. your time. Bob, Bob Rock, another great Canadian. Bob Rock. I just worked with Mutt Lang on something, which this yep. record. Uh, just came out, which you could go check it out. It's it's amazing. So, the first single is out. If check it out, is Crossbones Scully, and so it's Tommy Hendrickson, the guitar player from uh, Hollywood Vampires, and Alice Cooper. So after I did Holly, Hollywood Vampires during COVID, he said, "Let's do a record." Because him and I are huge Mud Lang fans, so him and I geek out over Mud Lang, and we're talking about it. We go, "Let's do a record," like just. This sounds like ACDC, like, cause, and Tommy kind of sounds like he could sound like between Bon Scott and Brian Johnson. So we go, let's do a record during COVID. So we ended up doing 10 songs. So wow. Tommy's friend goes, I'm friends with Mutt Lang. Let me play the record for Mutt because this is, you guys really made it sound like ACDC. Tommy goes, oh, you know, yeah, right. You know, Mutt Lang or whatever. Literally four days later, Mutt Lang calls Tommy and goes, 
Tommy, this record's amazing. And Tommy didn't even believe it was Mutt Lang calling him. So Mike goes, I want to be part of this record. I want to make this record. Can you, ah. you know, <laughs> you guys, and Tommy goes, well, I can't afford to pay you, you know, like, he goes, well, you're Mutt Lang. And Mike goes, no, no, I'll just do it. I'll, it's a gift to you. Oh, <laughs> it's a gift know. to you. So we sent Mutt the tracks and he sent them all back. He did some stuff. And he goes, yeah, I want you to record the, re-record the drums, do it this way. We finished the record. The first single just came out. It's called... Crossbone Scully. Look You're at it. You're looking it up already, Hayden. Crossbone. <laughs> well, listen to it, and it's exactly like it's a cross. It's it sounds like old school, but it sounds like a cross between ACDC and Def Leppard. <laughs> Might play a bit it's of that. It's an animated <laughs> video, but you'll like wow. it. And it's a real throwback. Anyways, I'll send you guys the photos, and it was great meeting you. Great meeting you too. Thank you so you much. Got it. Have a great, you too, right. have a great, have a great Tuesday. Great Wednesday. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. Great to meet you. Bye. Okay. Bye. Hey, this is Paul Jolly from Sydney, and this is the Big Rat. Well, B, uh, another one in the can. We really enjoy these uh, these uh, dive deeps or deep dives with people who were around at the time. What did you enjoy the most? All of it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know when to actually yeah. stop. You know, he could have. We could have had him on for a long time. He was a very good. Well, I good mean, man. He, he wasn't clock watching either, was he? No. He was uh, keen to keep going, but uh, mm. we, we felt that we all needed to uh, go to work ourselves, didn't we? Because yeah. we've been up early in the morning doing this one. Yeah. Australian time. Oh yeah, versus, I forgot uh, that. Yeah. Uh, LA time. And and how cool to see inside his studio as well. It was a lot going on in there, wasn't there? Well, it just makes me motivated about it. We've got to do a trip to America soon because oh. uh, we, we, we we could ring all these people up and be real fanboy and fangirls and go on and take some real good photos uh, on our experience, plus spread the word. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> Should we Mike go on a trike? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, look, Mike, 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 I think one thing I love with Mike's story over the last sort of two episodes was that um, I think he was appreciative that, you know, these stories are getting lost and that people are interested in an album like this and, you know, it's a podcast like us that uh, allow these things to have a life. So that was quite nice to hear him say that. Yes, it was. It was. And and him to be there, you know, in the last year, Michael was here. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, um, that was pretty hard to hear some of those things that Michael mm. was disguising a lot of his um, darkness that he was putting onto this album um, with um, and and, and um, trying to get through it with the drugs as well. So he was was quite up and down with it, wasn't he? Yeah. All right, B. Well, uh, look, that's in the can. While we're at it, I'll, I'll, I'd like also to say we've got one more episode of Elegantly Wasted to, to tie up. Do you know what that one's going to be about? I have no idea, Hayden. You're going to surprise <laughs> me. When is it? 
We well, went on a road trip. When I get to the, well, you know what? When we get to the news, I'm, I'll, I, I, Canada, a, here we come. <laughs> there's a tie-in with the news this week that I'm going to uh, elaborate. So uh, we'll go to fan engagement now, but uh, hang around and you'll find out during the news how this topic is illegally wasted. We'll have a fifth week uh, or a fifth episode. So, uh, B, over to you for fan engagement. Well, hello, Danielle. Welcome back to the show. What have we got today? Well, hello, beautiful bee. We've got several people that have signed up for our website and a one Alexis Bernstein that signed up for our newsletter this week. So thank you, Alexis. Someone named E. Bull, Angela, Ivan, Shelby, and Tony. So we thank you guys this week for participating in our raffle and for signing up for our website. Yeah, welcome on board, everybody. I want to say a big hello to a few people that I've been engaging with this week, and that is Janet Chamberlain and um, also Hilary Monaghan, Maisie McAnn, and hi to you guys. I want to also say hi to David Gaunt and Richard Simpkins because we are going to be meeting up in a couple of weeks' time in April when David comes over. Hopefully, we're going to be going to a, a restaurant that Michael used to go to in Bondi, so that will be fun. So I'm looking forward to that. So it's been really nice chatting to you guys off air. Um, also, did you see my mate Sarah? She um, did the great shave yesterday. So I want to give a big congratulations to her. Do you do you know what that is? The greatest shave that we do here? I do not. Please tell me. Okay, well, um, Sarah, um, Sarah Camia is a patron of ours, and she's one of my best buddies, actually. And uh, we, we, we started. She started this in excess journey off the back of listening to me on the podcast. She says that's the only time I'm going to hear you now. <laughs> Bless her. But she was growing her hair, and I says, "Well, what are you doing? How come you're growing your hair? It was really, really long. She used to always have it short, and she shaved it off for blood cancer charities, and she's gone full skinhead." Um, and yesterday, so congratulations. She actually managed to get something like nearly $2,000 for doing that. So good on you, sweetheart. That's really, really good. And Elle Dennis, she actually um, got her package yesterday as well. So um, I'm glad that arrived to you. Can I give a quick hello to Studio Girl Art on Instagram? I actually uh, got a nice little thank you back from her for commenting on her post last week of all the new uh, backstage uh photos from the uh, X tour that we were talking about last week. So thank you so much, Studio Girl Art, for giving us a shout back. We appreciate it. Oh, and I found that um, photograph of the lift. Did you get to see that, Danielle? The elevator. I did. I did. I know. That's got a lot of traction. A lot of people have commented on there. So hello to everybody that have found the podcast from that post because that was sent to me back in 2019 by a girlfriend that I met actually at the Metro when we went and did a, um, um, a celebration for Michael and I met her and it was her daughter at university. She just went and, t- and she took that photo. I can imagine she just put daughter or whoever wrote it and it does look like Michael's writing as well, which makes it even more impressive. He actually says door to door at the front instead of story to story and then goes through the lyrics of the stairs and in the very end it says by my my dad Michael Hutchins at the bottom 
And we were all like, what is it, Tiger? And she would have been in the country at that time. So it's a nice story, isn't it, Danielle? Yes. Whenever I saw that, I was like, how neat is that? It was was beautiful. And then it it almost kind of was very Michael-esque, just kind of writing something, you know, off the cuff on a wall. So yeah, that was that yeah. was really neat. That was uh, you know hopefully that was Tiger. Let's let's just all pretend that was Tiger. So yeah, stick in a moment, stick in a lift with a there pen. You there you go. That's what you do. Also, I noticed um, a, a really good post from MM, and I've put that onto our Facebook page. So if anybody wants to um, get any bootleg things uh, of in excess get onto our Facebook page and check out the post from Matthew. It is awesome. So have a good read of that one. Yes, it's it's very nice to have MM in our back pocket here for the podcast. And yes, it is. It is. Thank you, MM. And then that brings me on to Paula. So you haven't watched it yet, have you? Or you didn't get onto it to watch it? I have not yet. Um, working on the uh, VPN thing. So, uh, but I'm hoping to get there. I'm hoping to to watch it this week. Okay. So if anybody does want to watch it, and I'm not sure that I'm mean, I'm sure there's some of you are probably going, oh my, why why would we want to? That's fine. You can. F- Fast forward me talking now. But if you are interested, then what you need to do is what Danielle mentioned, then you need to get a VP if you're outside of the UK. And then you need to um, set that to um, UK so that they and for the software into thinking that you are in the UK. And then you need to get onto channel four in demand and then put in a UK address if you can. And then you should be able to watch it. There is no mini involved in this because it's all um, free for a few months. Obviously, you need to take off your subscriptions afterwards. And both episodes are on there. And next week, we'll all have a chat about it then. Um, And hopefully, Danielle will have caught up by then. But yeah, there's some um, things there that I would like to talk to you about. And Danielle, did you submit a story for the book? I did. Hopefully, maybe I'll be coming on for an interview at one point with you and Hayden because my story got selected. (laughs) Excellent. That's awesome. Awesome. No, it's been great hearing from people and, and people want to send me their stories, but I'm like, no. I want to be surprised and read it all in the book. It's going to be wonderful. So thank you, everybody who have submitted those. It's going to be a wonderful book to read. And speaking of books, before we go, we still have the newest raffle for the Elegantly Wasted tour book of the tour that never happened. To be very honest, as a huge NXS fan, I have never seen some of these pictures. So when you purchase this raffle ticket, you are going to be getting a book that probably a lot of us have, have never seen. And to actually have Tim Ferriss and Kirk Pingilly sign it. And come on, it's it's worth more than $20 yeah. a raffle ticket, in my opinion. But that's just my opinion. Yeah. So the size, the size of this tour book is the same size of an album. And it looks like a record. It's silver and it's just got in excess written on it. And now we've got Tim Ferriss and Kurt Pengilly's autographs on there too. On the back, you've got a couple of gold kisses, which is awesome. But yes, there's lots of photos from the videos when they're on the airfield, when they were filming Don't Lose Your Head. And there's quite a few photos from that, actually. And there's a couple of, um, well, there's lots of photos of Michael punching the air with his um, fist and 
belting out some songs live there as well. Also got lots of um, running commentary about the tour. Great, great some insight. So it's a great read as well. And then inside, you've even got a picture of the suicide blonde doll, um, Wembley Arena. It's got some old retro stuff from what they did. And then one of my favourite photos is Michael. Yeah, it looks like he's going through the song list and he's ticking off which ones he wants to sing and not to sing by the looks of it. So, yeah, I don't know. He's probably got a good 10 pages in there. And like I said, very, very rare because these are supposed to have been got rid of, weren't they? They were supposed to have been burnt. So we're very, very um, lucky to have them and to be able to um, give you the opportunity to have one for the price of just $20. So please go onto our website, go into fan engagement and buy yourself a ticket or two or buy yourself um, three <laughs> or four or five. <gasps> I, I did notice um, there's a lady, I won't say her name just in case she doesn't want to be said, but um, she bought five. Yes, yeah, she did. did. So Perfect. thank you very much. We appreciate that. All right. Well, Danielle, thank you. It's always a pleasure. Um, wonderful Saturday morning. I'm off to um, go to see some waterfalls with my husband now. So, um, And what are you up to? Well, beautiful bee, I am off to an evening of relaxation with my husband. Sounds perfect. All right, and Chick, take care. Okay. See you next week. I'm John from California, and this is the news. Well, we're time for the news, B. And look, thank you to John. What a Californian accent. Good on you, Johnny. All right. <laughs> Under the news, B, well, we're not going to do Chart Watch because there's nothing to really report other than the Australian Arthur's Chart, but we've done a bit that to death. So we're going to get straight into Gig Watch, B, because there's a lot of fantastic gigs all over the planet at the moment. So uh, I mentioned the other week, but coming up very, very soon is the, uh, the the Cure Tribute Act, the Love Cats, along with New Sensation, a double bill, which is obviously in excess songs. On the 6th of May, uh, I believe in Seattle this year, so only a couple of months away. Also, the Inexcessive Boys, who, uh, B, you had a chance to see not long ago, uh, are doing the Golden Vine Hotel uh, in July, 21st of July in Bendigo. That's a, a big country town here in Victoria. Yeah, one of my favourite towns. Wonderful. The don't, don't change, boys. They're going to be at the Kingscliff Beach Hotel in Tweed yeah. uh, in literally uh, about a week and a half uh, on the 26th of March, uh, which is, uh, again, a, a great venue. Also, too, uh, on the 28th of April, just over a month's time, the NXS Tribute Band, uh, Kick, they're going to be playing at the uh, the Kareen, uh, which is sort of a hotel venue in Perth. Uh, and that'll be fantastic uh, for all of those sort of gigs across the planet. In Australia at the moment, John Stevens is currently touring, as I said last week, with Cindy Lauper and Rod Stewart. Uh, he's getting up as the first uh, singer, and B's just had her mouth open larger than Luna Park, okay, or Marilyn, or Marilyn Chambers, okay, hello guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but John has uh, played only six songs because Cindy's playing 11 and then Rod's playing 21. So, you know, the uh, the audience have to go home at some point. But he's playing two or three in excess songs, uh, which I thought I would reference. I think he's playing Never Tear Us Apart uh, and Don't Change. Uh, and that's set. Yeah, go if you, if you just go um, check out John Stevens's Instagram um, page and you'll see some great footage from that uh, tour. Oh, absolutely! So, and, and the crowd are getting into it. Yeah. What a great warm-up sort of act, act for the for the other well done, John. Other two who are coming out. Also, too, 29th of April. We've spoken about this. Devils, sinners, and thieves. What a great name! Yeah, 
of a concert tour. That that's such a a, a, a fantastic name. That imagine Munich just did a tour, Devil Sinners and Thieves. It's uh, they're all bad. And you say it's a double thing now. Well, no, they've I think they've singularly put it into the Perth uh, Entertainment Centre with the Perth Symphony. So uh, I think just check your local guides there. But it's uh, one gig, not two. Big news also, Andrew Farris, as we speak, has been touring over in Nashville, played a gig there last week, and also uh, played a gig just in Austin, uh, virtually at the time of recording. Uh, he's also due back in Australia where he's playing in Queensland in Winton, which is a big out, out, outdoor sort of festival uh, on the 31st of March and April the 1st. But he's also then in April and May joining Don McLean, as we said, Mr. American Pie, uh, playing at all, uh, I think about 25 concerts across Australia and New Zealand between the start of April and uh, about mid-May. So uh, if you're a bit of a singer-songwriting fan, Don McLean and Andrew Ferris, not a bad double, Bill B. Yes, very good. Very good. Yeah. Will you go? Uh, will I go? Uh, I may go. I'll just right. uh, we'll see where it sits on a couple of things there. But uh-huh. um, uh, look, I'm not a huge Don McLean fan, but you know, there's enough sort of songs between the two probably would be worthwhile. Also too, just uh, released last week, Rolling Stone Australia released their top 50 most iconic moments in music. And coming at number 10 was in excess the Wembley gig. Uh, I think nine to one still to be released, so I don't know if they're uh, having a repeat appearance. Uh, but it was great seeing that uh, concert get its uh, due acknowledgement in the latest edition of Australian Rolling Stone. Fantastic, yes. Yeah. Also, to friend of the podcast, Mark Opitz, I believe he's going to be working again very soon with a uh, an album called Lip Stereo, who have just released, I think, a new live EP. Uh, but Mark's going to be going into the studio again. So he's getting back into the mix. And uh, Mark's also moving to Melbourne more permanently, B, oh. uh, because of all of these production things and everything going on. So that's pretty cool. See, so he's moving in with you. No, 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 no room in my house. Um, um, and you never get sleep. Imagine Mark opens a my joint. Hey, Mark, what did you, what, why did you put this guitar riff on the uh, second song? He, he will never sleep. Also, too, big happy birthday out there to Terence Trent Darby, great friend of Michael, did come in and guest vocal for one gig with the band. Does go by another name now, which is sort of longer than the uh, supercalifragilistic, like, like Santeria or whatever. It's, it's yes. like Salamander. Correct. He's yes. based in Spain these days, but uh, yeah, happy birthday to Terence. Uh, also too, B, we do like occasionally come with a little bit of funny news. Uh, we talked about the horse racing recently with Inexcess. Um, Craigslist, that famous uh, website in America, uh, I read this article today. They need a new sax player. Now, I want to emphasize for our Kiwi audience, sax, S-A-X, okay, <laughs> player for Inexcess. Uh, and the criteria, they want someone with a great attitude and someone who can work hard. Now, that uh-huh. sounds like Kirk, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, yes. So, so you've put his resume through, have you? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> but the very last bit of news, which will tie into my little little nugget earlier about our episode next week, there is a fantastic uh, review on Listen Like Thieves that was, and I'll give you the publication. The publication's called Pitchfork uh, Magazine, and you can find it via Twitter or Pitchfork, you know, the uh, website itself. Uh, but they've gone back and done a big deep dive on 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 albums uh, dating back into the eighties, I think. And uh, listen, like they've got an eight out of ten, which is pretty good. But the article was so well written, constructed, measured, thought out, considered, took into account the band's performances, history, and it really gave me a bit of a motivation that is for next week with elegantly wasted. I would like to sort of maybe get a bit more. I guess what's the word? A little bit more in depth about reviewing and 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 and. The critical and the commercial side and yeah, how and the touring. wasted sort of 
Mm. Yeah, how elegantly waste fell through the cracks a little bit at the time, mm. and how everybody played what I call the man. They they played Michael and the band. Yeah. They didn't play the songs. Yeah. So uh, I, I'd like everyone to do a bit of homework this week. Go and read this. Uh, listen, like these review in Pitchfork, and you know, go compare it to some of the elegantly wasted reviews where they don't really review the songs; they just review the image. Yeah. And uh, it's a really good juxtaposition. So. Looking forward to sort of, I guess, expanding on that next week. But uh, yeah, that's the cool. news of the week, B. And I hope everyone enjoyed and got a bit out of that. Excellent. Thank you. And this is Mammy from the UK. This is Lisa Mack from Brisbane, Australia. And this is Felicia from Everett, Washington, USA. And that's a wrap. All right, but that's a wrap. Uh, another big episode there. Uh, lots of news. I didn't think we had much news this week, but after looking through, I would have thought we had quite a bit. As I said, next week's episode, looking forward to, as I said, diving deep and elegantly wasted one more time before we put it into the uh, the time capsule. Again, B, we often talk about our patrons. This is the time where we want to welcome all uh, our patrons, and we're going to dedicate, as I said, uh, the, the patron welcoming to Martin Norton this week, who we did, uh, we think, forget last week. So, hello, Martin, and we'll do another hello to you in the patron list. So, over to you, B. I'd like to say hello to everybody outside on the highway. Let's all say hello to everybody outside. It's about 10,000 people at least. Hello. Here we go. Our honorary members. Tim Farris, Nick Eagle, Mark Opet. Richard Simpkins, Cameron Adams, Mary Woods, Darren Jones and Paul Jolie. Our patrons, Carmen, Laurie, Carrie-Anne, Danielle, Sarah Markham, Sarah Camia, Dr. Jim, Katie, Lisa Mack, Anne-Marie, Susan P, Susan B, Foxy, Pedro, Mandy, Lisa, Linda, Yvonne, Amanda H, Amanda V, David, Tracy, Paul Buckley, Ella, Ryder, Tony, Erica, Abigail and Martin <laughs> Val, Jim, Matey, Kelly, Jackie, Sean, Sheila, Shannon, Helen, Brett, Suzanne. Happy birthday, Suzanne, Laurel, Bar, Genevieve, Shelby, Manny, Lori, Jill, Yari, Laos, Heidi, Paula, Lisa, Angie, Nancy, Juliet, Scott, Anthea, Maria, Nicole, Tracy, Darren, Vernon, Jamie, Diana. Stefan, Andrew, Georgie, Stephen, Keisha, Mark, Vern, Shane, Lachlan, Mandy, Rachel, Nick, Sula, happy birthday Sula, Amy, Diana and Paul. And not forgetting our special mentions to Sue D, Joe Robbins, John A. Vink, Michael Spriggs, Glenn Davis, Paul Boozy and Jay Finlinson. Welcome to the podcast everybody. As we alluded earlier in the show, Mike had two sort of standout tracks that he was uh, very keen to sort of be aligned to as the tribute songs of these episodes. Uh, and the first one last week, as we said, was the opening track from the album, Show Me, uh, Cherry Baby. Uh, the second one is Elegantly Wasted, the uh, eponymous, uh, you know, self-titled uh, song of the album or album title plus lead single. Uh, but we do something pretty cool. Uh, this song was, I think, Speed 
spearheaded quite early and broadcast in America around April, May of 97. Uh, but the band went on the Rosie O'Donnell show at the time, Do you Remember Rosie O'Donnell? Yeah, I do, yeah. She was a comedian, wasn't she? She was a comedian, an actress. She was a Trump hater. He was a third <laughs> Rosie hater, whatever she... You know, she's had an interesting career. She was on The View and then she got yeah. kicked off The View and then she went back on The View and, right. uh, you know, she's had a, a, an interesting life. I feel like she might have played uh, Pebbles in the uh, Flintstones movie. Mm-hmm. Or was it Wilma? No, maybe it was Pebbles, actually. I don't know. Bar- Barney's wife. He was on it. Barney's, Barney's <laughs> wife. There you go. But, uh, look, the band did go on to Elegantly Wasted. They played a couple of songs and Rosie Betty. just asked a, a, a couple. Rosie. Betty. Betty. <laughs> yes, Betty Rubble. Betty Rubble, that's it. Happy <laughs> go, Betty O'Donnell. <laughs> That's it, Betty Rubble. Correct, correct, correct. Um, but yes, Rosie on the show did get a chance to ask Michael about a few questions. So we're going to go evaluatively wasted today. But knowing B's fantastic editing and deep dive techniques, we might get a little bit of Rosie in the band in the interview part as well. Uh, it's a goodbye from me, and it's a goodbye from B. Goodbye, everybody. All right, get ready. Our next guest are one of the greatest rock bands around, and after three. They're back with a new CD, Elegantly Wasted. Please welcome the amazing NXS. Yeah. 
Um, great to meet you. I've seen you in concert. Yeah. In fact, I saw your first concert ever in the U.S., I think, which was when you opened for Adam Ant. <laughs> that was you well, guys, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was us, yeah. Yeah, it was like at a We're, college. At St. John's or something. St. John's College. Yeah, yeah, great. And my cousin was somehow on the staff, and I got to go backstage, and I was staring at you and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you remember it, but... I do, I do. So. <laughs> well, it's great to have you guys back. You took a little break, like three yeah. years off. Yeah, yeah, a bit of time off. Yeah, and... Yeah. Necessary, you know. Yeah, but you always intended to get back and do more music. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. We're, and we're, we're feeling really good. We got, I think we've got a, a real good in excess record here. So uh, you know, we needed some, we need to spare you all for a while of us. So we're back with us and uh, looking good. Well, I'm happy that you are. I love your music. I really do. Thank you. I understand you have a new baby. Yeah. A baby girl. Mm -hmm. How old is she? Uh, she's gone on nine months now. Yeah. Nine months. What's her name? Her name's Heavenly Harani Tiger Lily Hutchins. Wow, a lot of H's in there. <laughs> yeah, She's her own 4-H club almost. Almost, yeah. Now, when you go on tour, will she come with you? No, she, she just left yesterday, actually, back to London with her mom, Paula. And, uh, she'll, you know, she comes out for a week here, a week there, you know. Yeah. Can't do it too long. No. Is no. she sleeping through the night yet? She's great. No, she's, uh, honestly, it's my first baby, and it's, she's just perfect. I mean, I can't believe it. You know, everybody's like, the band's like, you wait till you have kids. And, and then I'm like... <laughs> Great, typical Michael. She sleeps all night. She, she just laughs in the day and giggles and smiles, never cries, you know. Yeah, that's like my son. Right. <laughs> but wait until she gets to be two, she starts to hit other children. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I know my my son's been doing that. It was really? it's, it's embarrassing for the yeah. parents. Yeah, like, try not to, yeah, to put the head back on. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Do you live most of the time in London? Yeah, I do lately. Yeah, yeah and you, yeah. you're from there originally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, from Sydney. Australia? Australia, yeah, yeah. And you just, you live there? Yeah, it's easier than the, the 40 hour flight every weekend, you know. Yeah. Do you by any chance know Nicole Kidman? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I've met her. You, you know. met her? Yeah, at some yeah. stage. You know, she used to go out with a friend of mine, I think. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Really? Who? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should. Yeah. I'd like oh, nobody. The, I'd like the dirt on her. No, be yeah, from Australia, right. you know. Yeah, Tom, huh? Yeah. Yeah. You know. I heard. Whatever. Yeah. I know. They're over in England now. If you yeah. see them, say hi to me. <laughs> I will. <laughs> now, you guys are touring um, starting when? In August? We, we're touring, yeah. We're coming back in August. We're just doing sort of, uh, you know, promotion loan. But we're back in August and we'll be playing a uh, tour all through summer. Yeah. yeah. Do you enjoy touring or it gets a little grueling? No, we, we love being on stage. I mean, it's the 22 other hours of a day that's you know yeah you tough know. yeah it's any true. crazy fans ever do any weird things to you because i know rock and roll guys you got some wacky fans mm -hmm. uh yeah actually yeah the other day in uh in uh stockholm we're having a big launch of the record you know because it's out now and uh someone said this girl said to me look uh come here come here come here i want to i want to show you something i want to show you something and i'm saying what 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 and we lead she leads me into the bathroom uh-oh. I'm like, uh-oh. Yeah. I think I've seen one of these people, honestly. <laughs> and and uh, she says, she goes in the cubicle, she says, listen. And I hear this. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, what's that? What's that? Like, what's the, and she said, she starts getting very upset and says, don't you recognize it? It's Need You Tonight. I'm peeing it for you. <laughs> I need you tonight up next. Elegantly Wasted is the new CD in excess on tour in August. Buy it, go see them, and stay tuned. They'll be singing right after this commercial.
this is the Dutchie, and you've been listening to In Excess, Access All Areas with Hayden and Bee.